1: In the Rally pod, reporting for duty once again. Hello, and thanks for downloading. Now, first up, I should point out, we are leaving the petrol heads behind us for this episode, as we are instead going renewable and off-road ahead of the first round of the Extreme E Championship. I'm Lisa Rose-Sullivan, eager to embrace the new age of motor sporting excellence, and I'm delighted to be joined by an exciting bunch of brains, helping me and you get up to speed on this brand new adventure. We've got Dirtfish's resident extreme experts, Anna Duxbury and Dominic Wild. We've also got Spin's very own technological guru, former team boss, George Donaldson. And heading out of quarantine very shortly in Saudi Arabia and off to the service park, or should that be service boat, is Dirtfish.com senior staff writer, David Evans. David, good morning. Good morning to the rest of you, but David, how's the sand?
2: Uh, well, at least I have to say I, uh, I haven't actually seen any. I've seen the inside of a hotel room uh, for the last two and a half days uh, and I've got one day left. Actually, that's, that's not true. So I did head out this morning to go and get a coronavirus test. Uh, which was quite the most aggressive test I've had, and I've had quite a few aggressive <laughs> tests. I think the bloke was essentially playing darts with the thing uh, into the back of my throat, <laughs> uh, which was quite quite a lively start to the day. Uh, and you did tell us, uh, at least, to turn off, uh, to put f- uh, phones in flight mode. That is, I'm afraid, a bit of a no-no here, because if I do that, and I did that by mistake, we have kind of a, a COVID tracking app, uh, out here, which is keeping an eye on us all to make sure that none of us have coronavirus or whatever. But I, as soon as I went into the flight mode, uh, it flashed a warning saying, "Don't do this. Turn turn it back on." Ooh. So, so I'm rather more afraid of the of the Saudi uh, COVID police than I am of you. So I will be leaving it on. If that's Fair all right.
1: Enough. Fair enough. That's fine by me. We we should at this point, of course, welcome our extreme e experts, the Dirt Fish. Debutantes. Uh, Anna, good morning. Dom, good morning. Welcome to the Spin the Rally Pod. Good morning. morning. I am so excited about Extreme E. It's, it's something that we've kind of touched the edges of, haven't we, boys, in Spin the Rally Pod? But I think we really need to get to grips with the, the minutiae of the championship for people that are tuning in who might not quite know how it works. Let's start. Anna, perhaps, can you tell us how is this new championship Set up, how's it going to work?
0: So, it's a really exciting new concept, really. We've got this series that's a mixture of sort of Dakar and Rallycross and even like W Series. It's got sort of everything thrown at it here. It's another classic, a gag type series. um We've got the electric cars, which obviously is a big thing. Um, but we've also got this comp- element of the compulsory female driver, and compulsory male driver for that matter, um, in each team, each of which will do one lap um, in the each two lap race. Um, so they have equal balance there, sort of in the results. Um, we've sort of got everything thrown at this series. Um, it's a really exciting new concept. Now, um Dominic, It's uh, the,
1: the cars obviously are going to be the star in, in this championship to start with, maybe, because before we get to grips with everything that's happening on the team side of things, tell us a little bit about what kind of cars are going to be featuring in, in the championship.
3: Yeah, so it's a one-make series, at least at first. Uh, all the cars being built by Spark in, in France, the same company that built the, the Formula E cars, or, or still does build the Formula E cars, I should say. Um, it's a little over one and a half tonnes. Uh, Five hundred and forty horsepower, all-wheel drive. Um, if you've seen the car in person, it's been on display at um, Goodwood and, and Autosport International back when we were allowed to to leave the house. Um, oh, I remember those days. Look, feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a big thing. It's, it's 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 you you think of racing cars as being quite small. This 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 kind of isn't. It's it's massive. Um, but yeah, one make series. Uh, Teams can sort of tweak the bodywork a little bit, but uh, all all the uh, the powertrain underneath uh, is is completely identical. So the racing is going to be as close as ever. A battery produced by Williams Advanced Engineering, who obviously is an offshoot of the of the Formula One team as well, uh, and a tubular steel frame chassis as well. So it's we we talk about how modern it is, but at the same time, it's it's very simple. It's very off, like like a true off road truck that we that we see in the states as well.
1: George, what do you think about the cars that they got? Well,
4: they're when I mean, they're absolutely um amazing. As as Dom said, they're big, they're wide. You know, they're big wide cars. They're they're stable. They're they're built to be stable. The idea is that they can be thrashed through the the type of Baja Five Hundred, which is the easiest thing to envisage. Uh, Extreme E is an electric version of a Baja type anything goes event except with these unique extreme uh, concepts of, of where we're going in the world. And it's a world championship, let's make no mistake about that. 550 horsepower equivalent, 400 kilowatts, instant torque. The interesting thing for me sitting here as a team manager right now is the strategy that that the that you would implement before the event and the tactics. The tactics are all about communication in the car. So we've got two drivers in the car. One will be, you've got drivers like Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Loeb, uh, uh, dozens of years worth of, of rally experience, which will translate very well into extreme E. Of course, uh, Dakar drivers would probably e- be even better, but let's make no mistake, Carlos and Sebastian both with that Dakar experience. So we're going in there with a wealth of knowledge. They're partners, I don't know so much about them, but that will all be... And this is the key strategic element for me is the communication between those drivers, the, the, the experienced drivers and the less experienced drivers, whether it's women or men or men or women, it doesn't make any difference. But they'll all be very competent, very, very uh, astute drivers, very skilled. But the experience that those guys can impart across to their partners will be the difference between winning and losing over two laps. It's going to be very exciting.
1: I want to come back to that in in a bit, but David, we mentioned you're out in Saudi Arabia, and you know um, both and well everyone has mentioned that it is a very much a world championship. How is this different from other um, championships that travel the world? I, I jokingly said that you're heading off to the service boat later.
2: Yeah, well that's exactly right, Lise. You know, the one of the absolute premises of this of this championship is that it, it's designed to, to shine a light on areas that are climatically challenged. Uh so you know, we're here in Saudi Arabia uh to look at the process of kind of desertification uh i'm now reading from some notes i made but 12 million hectares of land each year are lost because of of drought and and obviously carbon dioxide has a big impact on that so running electric vehicles is is huge um but actually moving those the nine teams and all of the the mechanic the mechanical parts everything around the world uh is done by on the uh hms elena which is a formerly a royal mail boat uh that went from somewhere
4: to somewhere,
2: I think in the <laughs> South Pacific.
4: I can't remember Saint, exactly. St Helena. It'd be St Helena. St Helena. Yes. St Helena. Yeah,
2: so, it went. I, I, will it be? Yeah.
1: Is it definitely? What did I say? Yeah. <laughs> you went from somewhere to somewhere. Yeah. it, it Very, uh, very stupid. So, I thought, somewhere,
2: somewhere in the, hang on, I've just found the right page. Uh, right. So, so uh, <laughs> RMS St Helena is capable of running on one engine. Uh, it it runs on low sulfur marine diesel, which uh, apparently is is less bad than yeah. Because Georgie, normal diesel that you'd put in a ship is pretty much crude oil, isn't it? I
4: mean, it's horrible stuff. It's pretty much. It's absolutely disgusting. It's the worst of the worst. It really is. It needs to be heated to build to flow. It's just tar basically. So that so this low sulfur thing that's quite a big deal, isn't it? it'll be running it'll be running uh, you know euro 4 or euro 5 diesel probably you know it'll be, be proper diesel engines in it
2: that's exactly what i thought uh, so anyway so that boat that used to ship mail from somewhere to somewhere i'll get back to you on that uh, to tell you exactly where and where it was uh, has been totally transformed um and the bill cost was 32 million uh, it's home port is liverpool and essentially everything that is to do with extreme. Is on that boat, uh, including I think there's sixty odd cabins um, where the team members can sleep, and it just it basically sails from it sailed from Liverpool in late February to Saudi, uh, to where are we going next? Senegal, then to Greenland, to Brazil, and finally down to Patagonia for the last round in December. So you know immediately you've you've had a massive impact on on not having to air freight stuff around the world. Um, but you know you can't underestimate the the massive concept uh of extreme e that is to to demonstrate essentially where we've gone wrong uh, in burning fossil fuels and to demonstrate a way forward for motorsport it's you know it's about motorsport and entertainment showing what we've got to do to get the world back on track essentially
1: but it's okay to be excited about a new motorsport championship, isn't well, it? There's this you know, kind Lise, of virtuous bit that kind of yeah, makes you feel a bit kind of yeah. odd, doesn't it? Or is that just me and I?
2: No, Glees, so, no, can I just jump in there? Sorry, for, not for the first time, I'm sure. Apologies for this. Uh, <laughs> but he, that's exactly my point. You know, I've read all of this stuff about, you know, what we're doing to save the planet and all that. And, and you kind of feel like, right, wow, that should really be getting me Dead excited, and it does a little bit. But actually, fundamentally, what I'm really excited about is seeing these these cars with essentially 550 horsepower. You know, the likes of Johan Christofferson. and and you know incredible drive you know Johan Kristoffersen, molly taylor jensen button all of these people thrown into a, a completely new format of racing and we we spoke yesterday briefly with timo scheider who's the guy who is one of the kind of course experts uh, out here in saudi he drove the the circuit for the first the track whatever we're going to call it uh, you know it's a lap of about five miles or something uh, for the first time yesterday and was so excited about it um it, you know it is completely new and as much as we're all very virtuous, like you say, and interested in the environment, we're all electro-petrol heads, whatever, uh, and we're all looking forward to racing.
1: Dom, Anna, just jump in whenever you like. What, what What's most exciting you two about this? Because you are our dirt fish experts on extreme E. I
3: think for me, it's got to be the, the sheer range of drivers. I mean, you expect to see... People like Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Loeb in an off-road racing championship. But then you've got some of the top guys and girls from off-road truck racing in America. You've got people uh, like David said, Molly, Molly Taylor from, from Australia coming over. Jensen Budson's here, you know, he's a guy who's talked about off-road racing his whole life, but we know him as an F1 driver. So it's just the sheer variety and and the diverse driver roster for me that is that's incredible i mean we we think that there's a a good driver lineup at something like race of champions but that's a a one-off throwaway event this is a real serious series and these guys and girls are going to be racing all throughout the year and it's gonna you you know uh, how how many times have we had this pub conversation where you know oh rally drivers are the best drivers in the world no formula one drivers are the best drivers in the world well now we get to find out because everyone from all walks of motorsport life as it were are coming together they're all racing the same cars on the same tracks and you know may the best driver win
0: yeah like the guys have said really it quite literally is a race of champions we've got people from all over the place and we do get to see them head to head um quite aside from the electric nature of the series and we've got these great drivers with an unusual quite complex format of racing um, and it'll be really exciting to see because we quite literally don't know who's going to come out on top here Um, i think that really is the exciting thing Anna, Anna just, mentioned uh, the, oh. just
2: Just, one sec, Lee, sorry. Anna, can you tell us no, far away. a little bit about the, the format? I, I am chucking you under the bus a little bit here because I've got an idea there's, there's, <laughs> there's qualifying semis. Get used to it, Anna. Yeah, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and- I made
0: some quite extensive notes on this last night because it is very complicated and I'm still getting my head around it. But basically on the Saturday, we've got two qualifying sessions, each of which will contain two races which in my head would make more sense to call it four qualifying sessions, but never mind. Um, (laughs) And in each of those races, the finishing position of the races in the first qualifying will guarantee your starting positions in the second qualifying. And the results of all of these will take you into Sunday when you'll have the semi-final one and semi-final two for the lower half of the grid, which is being called the crazy race, which promises more than... It may deliver <laughs> um <laughs> top four from your first semi-final and no sorry top three from your first semi-final plus the top finisher in the crazy race will go through to the final and the grid for that excitingly is going to be decided by grid play so that's going to be by the fans and also strangely by the other teams, who have to decide where to allocate their votes, um that they've received from fans, if they don't make it through to the final, that's that's this right. Is more this...
1: complicated than the rugby league end of the season.
2: <laughs> no, but the, the, just the grid play thing is 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 actually quite cool. So if you're a fan out there, just as you as you can have a, an, an impact on Formula E with, I think was it in Formula E that you could vote for who got that extra bit of power or something for a, for a wee while. Uh, I can't remember yeah. something like that. So, but so this is a
0: whole whole nother step.
2: It it is, isn't it? Because suddenly, you know, you can you can give somebody the chance. And Anna, just explain how the team Actually it's very it's very clever because you're trying to get the,
1: the word out about the championship because the bigger number of fans you have engaging with you as a team, the more clout you're gonna have.
2: Yeah, exactly. But the the interesting bit that Anna touched on there is is obviously all of the teams, all nine teams, will get a percentage of the vote. But only I think do we have five in the final? Uh, I can't remember. Four, I believe. Four, four. So there will be five teams out there who who don't get through, but have a percentage of that uh, of that vote. So they then will give their give their vote to one of those four teams. So again, George, you know, we're going to see bizarrely. Some inter uh, t- team strategy. Could you ever imagine, George, when you were sporting director at Subaru, giving an advantage to Peugeot or or somebody else?
4: It would, be, it would be a cold day in hell. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. But it's, it's so interesting when you look at the mix. You know, you, you've got Carlos uh, Sants and 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 Laya Sants, different. Uh, but they're but they're both Spanish. So, you, but then you've got you've got uh, German and Swedish. You've got uh, uh, British and Swedish. You've got British and Australian. You've got uh, Spanish and British. Uh, so even even that if the fans are all coming from one region they 're going they 're going to be drawn <laughs> all over the place so I think it 's going to be an absolutely world championship in that i don 't think it 's going to be possible to have national preferences uh, uh, parlaying into what happens hopefully the fans that that watch are watching will do it just purely on the performance and the value and the the feedback that we're getting, you know, via via the live feeds t- to the fans, you know, an engagement. So it should be super interesting, but it's all going to be down to how well the stronger drivers can coax the weaker drivers in the in the team to to go fast, to not lift, say- to push.
3: So what you're saying is it's going to turn into Eurovision for cars then with, like, the Swedish drivers voting for well, the Finnish drivers. Well, I mean, ultimately,
4: and... again, Dom, I mean, it's, it's down to the fact, you know, is it going to be dusty? Is it going to be possible to pass? You know, I mean, these, these tracks, you know, it's only a five-mile lap. You'll have to configure it so, you know, presumably there'll be some straight sections and it'll be wider and you can crack on. Will it be faster hmm. to stay in someone's tracks? Will there be a cleaner line? Or if you go on to, say, fresh sand, is it faster? I I don't know. I tell you one thing's for sure: Carlos Sainz and Sebastian Loeb'll know, and anyone else that's done Dakar, the Baja guys'll know. The American drivers, if they've all done Bajas, they'll know. The Swedes, well, they're all half of them are rallycross. I mean, Jensen Buttons maybe at a slight disadvantage here. But but his thing... co-driver. I don't know much about Michaela Kotolinsky, but if her if her mother is the previous Kotolinsky driver that used to drive the the factory Volvos, imagine mm. a factory Volvo rally car. It does exist. It did exist. Uh, great heritage there.
2: And and she did an awful lot of testing. I think she did. Dom or Anna Anna? Sorry, was she, was she was the Continental Tire tester? Was
3: she? Yes. She's the original tester. Yeah. Yeah, so, so she's she, not done
0: as much testing recently, but she has got that background that should give her a bit of an advantage.
2: Yeah, yeah. Can and- we
1: talk about the the um, inclusion of the the women in this championship? Because um, it has, you know, some people have said, well, it's just tokenism or whatever, but it's a fantastic opportunity f- to promote women drivers who have always struggled to be given the opportunity to prove themselves and as you've mentioned George this championship could be decided by the team that makes a strength of its weaknesses as it It were is is, is able to develop them on so how important is it do you think that we actually start seeing more women coming into motorsport extremely just seems to have been able to as prop the door open
4: Well, full marks to them for managing this. And and I mean, what they've created is that's a team like a driver and a co-driver with the added mix that they both have to drive and they both have to co-drive. Now, obviously, in terms of co-driving, you don't need pace notes for a five mile circuit. Eight kilometres, you learn that. Now, I assume that there's a recce. Uh, Dom, Anna, keep me right if we're not. Very quick interjection required. Is there recce, is there not? There is a there's a course. I walk. think
3: there's a, there's going to be a track walk. Yeah, yeah. it's a
4: course walk. Well, that's a long walk, isn't it? This is not athletics. What's going on here? Okay, it's concerning me, George. Trust me, <laughs> the media media involvement.
1: George's idea of a, of okay, a long a walk, walk. <laughs> was from the car to the hot for okay.
4: so actually, okay, that's that's fine. It's it's a walk. So yes, you will as you walk, you will make pace notes because you're going to have to actually understand what's over the next crest, understand what, how sharp the next corner is, a blind corner, how wide you can go. So there will be a, a short note. It won't be the detailed notes that we see on WRC, but it won't be far away from it, maybe just three or four pages, maybe five or six pages. David, you can keep us right because you'll see it firsthand. So that's got to be done uh, across two languages, uh, and it's got to be imparted in a way that, you know, I don't know... A, 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 the more, more experienced driver goes first, so he can figure out what you can do, and then he pushes the the, the second driver to 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 uh, to 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 not lift through. Don't lift. Don't lift. Keep wide. Turn now. In you go. And it's, it's it's imparting that experience knowledge that the car the car will absorb it and make it having the courage to not lift, having the courage to keep the wheel straight. Let the car do its work. I'm sure the chassis is very good, but that'll that'll uh, present itself after the first event.
2: I think from what I can understand yeah, yeah. the 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 road, the circuit is quite wide. Uh in that you know, you're sort of told you've got you've got to go between these certain points, between these certain markers. So there is a there's not perhaps a, a sort of prescribed defined line. Um, around the place, um, but for sure, you know. How many, how
4: many days have you got to walk this? I, I... mean, have you got three or four <laughs> days to, to walk over? You know, if you're, if you're you're talking about a track that's four or five hundred meters wide, potentially, you know, yeah. you want George, to the, explore uh, different ways.
1: I have... the other big question is whether David's going to go out in his long trousers and his jumper. Yes, you're going to fly David. Cords, <laughs> exactly,
2: exactly. That's 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 for sure. I I do think that you know inevitably they will they will have to let them drive the course. Uh, they really will. I can't imagine. You know, that
1: maybe they send them out in, in golf buggies. Yeah.
2: Also, all the desert equivalent <laughs> uh, or whatever. But one thing is for sure, it will be very, very dusty. Uh, looking out the window now, it it is very sunny. Uh, with absolutely no sign of any rain. Uh, coming. At all, and the the Well, oh, but is
4: it the, if it sand? Sand doesn't dust. You know, it's only it's only dust that dusts. So if it, if it's proper sand, then then it won't dust. But presumably, there's a mix. Are we in the mountains where you are? Is it? uh No.
2: It, I, I could. I when I first arrived, I could see a mountain, but it it's, it's disappeared behind the sand or dust or dusty sand or whatever it is. Okay, right. i, uh, I, so I collected. There is dust
4: then. Okay.
1: Um, one question. I. Like- did want to ask about the uh the, it's the one make championship we've got the, you know the same cars will the mechanics make a difference could we see the teams with the cleverest mechanics as we've seen before the clever use of different ways of putting tires on cars and as in different patterns not obviously putting them on <laughs> in, in a unique fashion um can mechanics make a difference in this championship?
3: I think that's quite a, a really interesting point because while I can't speak for every team, I know that Chip Ganassi Racing, Kyle LeDucs brought his off-road racing truck crew with him to serve as the crew on the Extreme E team. So while a lot of teams will be learning on the fly about um, big off-road vehicles, Chip Ganassi Racing, at least, have a head start in that regard. So whether or not they will affect things over the course of the season i don't know one of the, the the rally guys will be able to answer that better but i think at least going into round one um those that have got experience with these particular types of vehicles i think it, it's hard to say that they won't have uh a, a bit of a leg up on the competition i think you're right there Dominic.
2: I, mean, I i'd, I'd spoken it, it, briefly with sorry david just briefly with Science um, about about the the car when he first tested it, and he said, you know, there's not as much variation. You can't work on the setup uh, as much as you would want to. But you know, Carlos is is at a bit of an extreme, as as you will testify, George. You know, Carlos Science is a driver who would test uh, until the cows came home, and then test a bit more. Um, and and it will be quite alien, won't it, to him not to be able to run through a range of setup uh, before he gets in the car.
4: Yeah, and, and there's where Chip Ganassi might have a little bit of an advantage because even something as simple as a tyre pressure being three or four psi, you know, point one, point two of a bar difference, can make a massive difference in the way that the car's going to handle and the way it's going to get traction. And we, I'm sure, we will be uh, at least as the, the as the whole thing progresses and progresses through the heats, we'll see it. You know, in the in the in the tenths and even hundredths, will make a difference especially if you can go slightly different ways, you know, it's it's going to be tough. I
2: I think as well, Dom, you, you know, you've mentioned Chip Ganassi and talked about them there and Kyle Duck and, and Sarah Price, for me, you know, they could almost be, it, it's very unfair to call them dark horses, but they're the ones, you know, they're, they're not mm. coming in with a whole bunch of world championships, uh, but they are coming in with massive experience uh, of, uh, of off-road racing and driving this, this kind of thing. And, you know, I think, Anna, you mentioned that, you know, there are so many drivers coming in from different areas, you know, how is Jensen Button going to fare when he turns this thing into, into the first corner? Uh, you know, he's done some testing, he's done some testing in Wales, uh, but it's a whole world away from, from where we are right now. Uh, and this is the, the fascinating thing is that there are, you know, so many drivers, the likes of Stefan Sarazan, you know, just not much experience um and the the one thing that i would like to say uh actually is one of the things that i've been really surprised about is the one guy in, in all of electric off-road motorsport right now that seems to you know have a real advanced understanding of the engineering and how to drive these cars is Hayden Padden uh and i'm i'm really surprised that Hayden <clears throat> excuse me Hayden didn't get picked up by one of the teams uh you know i was talking to him a, a month or so ago about how to drive an electric rally car um, and, and he said you know it is a completely different mindset you know for example you've got no engine braking at all you know i'm sure in his car you can set the energy recovery quite harshly so it does essentially or it will um act as an engine brake but i don't know if you can do that in these um so i was that was just one thing that i felt i should share uh, that i do think that uh, everybody's favorite kiwi has been overlooked
3: And one thing as well that we kind of briefly touched upon, um, but we haven't really spoken in much detail, is communication between drivers as well. I mean, other than the Ganassi guys and the, the signs guys, you've got multiple nationalities and multiple backgrounds. So you've got to find this common ground, not just of language, but of terminology as well. Now, when I spoke to to Kyle LeDuc a few months ago, he was saying that they kind of skipped all that because both he and Sarah Price have done off-road truck racing and things like Baja. So, you know, they use the same words for the same things. So they didn't need to sort of learn each other's language, as it were. Um, they already had that nailed down. And you'll have signs and sands who will have the same advantage, both coming from Dakar as well. But then when you look at something, a, a team like... Veloce for example you have got Stefan Sarazan who's driven everything and then Jamie Chadwick who's very much a circuit racer you know they're going to have to learn you know what words mean what for certain things and there's there's going to be this sort of I I don't mean a literal language barrier but sort of a motorsport language barrier if you will and teams are going to have to overcome that so they can find sort of how to communicate uh, both on track and off track as well
4: Definitely going to be a key factor for me. That is Dom, hundred percent.
1: Again, maybe that's a strength for the for the rally teams or those coming from a rally background because it has always been a bit of a United Nations in a lot of the teams, potentially.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm looking down the list. There's Seb Loeb, uh, Stefan Sarrazan, uh, uh, and obviously, um, obviously, uh, uh, Carlos. But not. That it's an issue for him with 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 these country. He's countrywoman with them but uh, i'm sure that all these guys uh, will will communicate perfectly it's it, it's a fairly simple vocabulary it's a 5 mile circuit 8 kilometers you know you you're going to work that one out you you you'll have worked it out long before you get to saudi arabia you'll fine tune it as you go around the track i'm sure i mean if, if that was me i would have been out practicing with my driver but my co-driver Anywhere, anywhere at all. Any any roads, any tracks. You know, if they've got the resource, not that we've necessarily got the ability in lockdown to to go out to some desert areas and just create some roads and get that nomenclature sorted out, figure it out. It's very very brief. It's very simple and. Fast, slow, <laughs> stop, <laughs> flat out. Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: did, I did forget
4: actually that of course
2: there's me saying that Jensen Button won't have a clue what's going to happen when he gets to the first corner. He has done. He did. Did he not, Anna? Did he do Baja or something a while ago? He did
0: last year. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So he's not. He's and not. A complete how did he newcomer.
0: do? <laughs> he he broke down in the desert, didn't he? Had to spend all night there.
2: Oh, that's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Partly it's gorgeous. Well, that's, that's, that's not going to happen here uh, because, you know, as, as much <laughs> as it is desert racing, uh, it's not desert racing for, for very far. What, one thing that we do know, <clears throat> or another thing that we do know about the, the track, is that there is some undulation uh, from what Scheider said. There is, you know, there's quite a steep downhill section. Uh, so it, it does sound like it, it is going to be quite interesting. Unfortunately, we still, there's still a couple of days before we actually get up there to go and have a, a good look around the place. Um, but I'm sure it will be very entertaining.
1: It's, a, it's a, I know the championship's called Extreme E, but it is a very extreme environment to kick off the championship. And then it's going to continue that way around the world. At the end of the season, it's going to be potentially the team that's been able to adapt between the extremities, isn't it? I mean, it kind of sounds obvious when I'm saying it like that. But we are going to be seeing very different conditions from race to race.
4: We will I, mean, I guess that the the nouse will go up exponentially each event, mm. you know, won't it?
1: Yeah. It you know, will. And, so it'll, and, become, and... it'll
4: become less of an issue as we move through it. So that makes more of a focus being very important to try and get out the box in the best way so everyone will be desperate to do incredibly well and it and, and you know, uh, strategically it's super important not to throw anything away on this first event. Don't come back with nothing.
2: And essentially, what they learn here, you know, from driving on the sand and, and the rocks here, will, will work when, when they go to Senegal for the next round, uh, which is, yeah. is on you know, not dissimilar kind of terrain. But then we're off to Greenland after that uh, and, and Brazil, where you kind of wonder exactly what the, the terrain will be like there. Do either Dom or Anna, do you know much about Greenland or, or Brazil or what we can expect? Or even Patagonia?
0: I'm I not th- sure that. Oh, go on if you know more. No, of you me. go ahead. I was gonna say I didn't think they'd revealed much about it yet, but you seem to know, so go on.
3: No, no, I mean they they haven't said much at all. But I was gonna say they they've given each race a key word, haven't they? Like this is desert, Senegal's ocean, which you know are they gonna swap the cars for powerboats? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> Greenland's Arctic, Brazil's Amazon, and Argentina's glacier. So from these one word descriptions that we have i think l- like saudi arabia and senegal are likely to be similar greenland and argentina are probably going to be similar as well so mm. the lessons learned from round 3 in 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 august can probably be applied in december um but again as anna said we we, we just don't know too much yet um but that in itself a good thing because you look at i mean this it is an off-road championship but it's more circuit racing than it is rallying and you you look at things like world rallycross or formula one or you know even indycar and nascar you go to the same venues every year you've got data you've got notes you know you've got hours of youtube footage that you can watch there's not if there's nothing for us to talk about now then there's nothing for the drivers to to you know plan with so everyone's going to be going into every round completely blind. So what they can learn this weekend for, for Senegal and what they can learn in Greenland for Argentina is going to be absolutely crucial.
2: One, one thing that is interesting that we do know is that when, they, when they've done their first lap, they, the race continues. And I, I guess they come into some sort of pit area to stop, jump out and change, change seats and then continue. Uh, in in the race, so one of the things that I know the the crews had been quite keen on was the fact that they had sort of similar height, similar size crew. The one that stands out to me is is uh, Rosberg uh, crew, which is Johan Christofferson who is a mighty tall fella, uh, and Molly Taylor, who's who's not a <laughs> mighty tall lady. Uh, and do we think she's got mean, a vision of her trying to hitch the seat forward? Well, <laughs> it's it, it,
4: not. <laughs> It's not a problem. It'll be it'll be seat cushions and uh and uh, the belts will just pull up. Nothing I to I am it. right there. I am right though, Dominator, aren't I? I'm not being completely stupid.
2: Uh this it is all part of the race. This this driver change.
0: Well, yeah. Yeah. Phew. Um I is there really, um like a, a standard time, like there was in Formula E at the
4: beginning. That's something that I've not, not managed
0: well, to do. Have got the a minute stop to. or something,
4: a minute dead time? Yeah, it must oh, be, right. surely. Okay. I wouldn't yeah, have thought so. I would have, I would have had it on the go. I would have done that as well. But then you've George. got issues of safety, safety issues, yeah. surely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why we yeah. don't have the rolling starts in
4: Rally anymore, George. We never had rolling starts in Rally. Sorry, still, I, but
2: i that not mean yes that did that did mean. remind me of a,
4: <laughs> that reminded me of a great story which had uh
2: taking us off on a slight tangent here but uh, when michelle mouton did Pike's Peak for the second time uh and she fell out with the organizers of the event uh and her, as her punishment she she was she was found guilty of speeding by 5 miles an hour uh on the course Oof. so because largely because the uh, our american friends didn't want a, a european to come over and win Pikes Peak, certainly not a European lady. Uh, they told her that when she started the race, she would have to start standing by the side of the car. She would then have to get in the car, put her belts on and carry on. Whereas everybody else, of course, with Pike Speak, the clock starts as you take a flying start across the start line. Uh, and Michelle quite rightly pointed out that actually she'd be in a bit of a hurry and she may not do her belts up properly. And what happens then if she has a crash at the first corner and, and comes out of the belts uh, and she was... Immediately, she, uh, the stewards found a, a new way of penalising her. Uh, but no, I think we're, we're... Sorry, that was quite a long and quite a poin- no, God, that's really interesting. Story, that, that
1: says so much about motorsport. It says a lot about the way that women have been treated in the sports.
2: It, it does. But actually, just to finish that story, she, of course, did uh, go on to break the course record in 1985 <laughs> and showed all the Americans the way home
4: go michelle she's a legend. absolutely yeah, well let's see if the americans show us the way home show all the europeans the way home on the on the first event here yeah I, I think the, it's just it's just going to come down to drivers it's going to come down to that teamwork and the ability to make that work and i think i think there'll be one or two of them will will stand out head and shoulders those two guys
2: uh, those two sorry they, those two that two. those two in the crew can't call them guys sorry anna and lisa uh, but Sarah and Kyle LeDuc, they, I think from what I can understand, you two put me right, they would have spent a bit more time perhaps together working on strategy and stuff than than most of the other crews.
3: On that, actually, I, I, I think it's quite surprising how much time the Andretti guys have been spending together. I mean, if if you follow Katie Munnings and, and Timmy Hansen on, on social media, they've been together what seems like constantly since they've been announced, you know, really working hard uh, to nail this down. And we seem to have seen that more so from them than any other team. um. So, you know, it goes to show what you were saying about, you know, having to, spe- having to, you know, get this nailed down going mm-hmm. into Saudi Arabia. So yeah, the, the, the Ganassi team will have been doing that. I mean, they're the only true U S based team, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it's not like they can just, you know, they're not they're not European-based um and, and are sort of forced together in that regard. Uh, so the US guys and girls will obviously have been, been spending time together, but the Andretti team as well, a UK-based uh, UK despite being Andretti Autosport, they, uh, they've been spending a, a heck of a lot of time together as well working this out.
0: Casey told me she's spoken to Timmy every day since they've been announced, and I assume it'll be a similar situation. Across across the board, really. Mm-hmm. I'm, you would I'm imagine not sure. It would about have that. to be like
2: that, but you know, would Carlos signs? Could we imagine Carlos being on the? Fa- yeah, I'm sure he would want to be because that's He'd be exactly texting the whole time. But you know, he's he's a. Some of these are you know busy guys, and and you know, Seb doing doing Dakar and and being busy, uh, with with all of that stuff. Uh, <clears throat> Jensen Button commentating say, on the Grand Prix yesterday. Say-
1: I'm not getting gender-oriented here, David, but that sounds like a man's excuse. There's always time to pick up the phone and have a (laughs) five-minute conversation.
2: That's very true. Sorry, (laughs) Lisa.
1: Okay, Lisa, so you're the first one
4: that's been sexist then, Lisa. I know, it's outrageous, (laughs) isn't it? Um,
1: Before we finish, one thing that we haven't really talked about um, specifically is the way these cars are being powered. and. That is something that is new and could fail potentially on the circuit. We could see the cars herring around and then come to a screaming halt very suddenly with any motorsport, obviously, you know, doesn't have to be petrol driven. But I'm, I'm curious about the way these cars are being motivated.
4: OK, do you want me to pick up some in there? Yeah. Okay. So uh, a new battery uh, engineered by Williams. Okay. So that's definitely a failure point. Uh, It can be a failure point. But these have these cars, the cars, so the electric systems, the physical car, very strong tubular uh, chassis uh, should be quite strong. All tested at Chateau Lesture in the south of France. An unbelievably rough place. It uh, used to be used for safari testing. So I think the cars will be quite well tested, but you never, ever get the full test as you might get on an event like this. But it is only, a, you know, it's it's a, what are we talking, 16 kilometre lap, two laps. Um, I would have thought that I would be very disappointed if the homework hasn't been done, if the engineering hasn't been done to get us a reliable event. That said, you know, you can get some funny things happening with electronics. In the heat, is it, is it hotter here, you know, is everything a little bit more heat-soaked? Um, the one thing that batteries and, and uh, battery-powered vehicles don't like is heat. Uh, they don't like mm. the cold either, particularly, but but the heat really... Um, the, the, the cold will attenuate what they can do, but the heat will defeat them. Uh, so the cooling systems have got to be clever. If a cooling system fails, then the electronics will fail shortly thereafter. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, Lisa, but I'm sure they've they, done their homework. Chateau, the store, was a good place.
2: And and they've got to be – they've been fairly brave here because all of the coverage is – I'm sure there's a small delay, but it's all – you can watch most of it live uh, from pretty much in, in qualifying. So any issues with the cars will be broadcast a, around the planet immediately. Uh, but just to answer that question, Lisa, of how the – power is actually generated. Uh, It's coming from a hydrogen fuel cell, which through a process of electrolysis, uh, combines oxygen and hydrogen uh, into this box, where a bit of magic happens through this thing about called electrolysis. And then you get water out of one end, which is gonna be used to flush the toilets uh, in in the service park and out of the other end you get electricity which is shot to the batteries uh, and is stored in a battery somewhere and then fed into the cars. Takes two hours to charge the cars for 20 minutes drive time. Uh, And that is about all I've got to offer in terms of batteries, but I can whiz us back to the point earlier about the Helena, St. Helena, which goes, which went from Cape Town, Georgia, quite right to Saint Helena, and then on to the Ascension Islands to deliver post, and then back to Cape Town, and then back again to the Ascension Islands.
4: Is anybody still there? Oh. I'm still here, David. Was a great, <laughs> it was a great monologue. It was all very interesting. I was, I was captivated.
1: It, I, was, I was hoping that uh, Anna and Don were going to pick up on the uh, the actual electrolysis. Of the,
4: uh,
1: yeah.
3: Well, David, is, our resident chemist. <laughs> there, there is a sort of propulsion ish thing that we haven't mentioned and this is the the sort of the the hyperdrive hyperboost thing oh yeah um so there's a power boost which can be activated from a button on the steering wheel uh initially they said that that would go to the team that made the biggest jump on the first lap so it's all very mario kart but yeah. that's the t- sort of talk around that has quietened in recent months. So I don't know whether that's still a rule and whether they've just got everyone's got a boost and they can use it as and when they please, or whether they still have this uh, this jump uh, competition, as it were. Did- in uh, David, you might be able to help me on that. No, there was um, definitely there was yeah, just a,
2: a bit more of a chat here that that everybody's got the boost. Um, but when right. I asked the question, nobody seemed to know how long the boost would last uh, and where. Do you go into a sort of a DRS zone where you can use it or can you use it exactly where you want? Um, and, and yeah, I'd, I'd seen the same stuff about the the jump as well, which seemed like a great idea. Uh, but I think that perhaps might be a little bit too Mario Kart for, for global motorsport.
1: I don't know, though. We're looking at bringing a new audience into motorsport. I think you do have to kind of consider these options, don't you, which is clearly why it's been put on the... On the uh yeah, list.
2: that that list. takes us dangerously into this area. You know, is it a sport or is it entertainment or you know what is it? I I was never a huge fan uh, of those insane jumps. You know, the jump that nearly killed Marcus Grunell uh, in America. What do you call those those the crossover jumps? Um, yeah, it, I just you know that's it, it's all very good and it looks spectacular, but you know you only need a small mechanical issue with the car. Uh, at, at precisely the wrong moment, and I know Dom, you you know this this side of the sport intimately. And they do have, don't they, on those crossover jumps in America? They've got a lot of sort of padding, so you don't smack into into a concrete lip in the way that I think Gronholm did a few years ago.
3: Yeah, well, the Gronholm incident was uh, that that wasn't even on the jump. That was that was oh, Toppy Haken who, who hit the jump. Sorry, yeah, Toppy Haken hit. Yeah, Gron Grun, Gronholm hit uh, a concrete block on on the, uh, another part of the track, but. But yeah, that had you been moved you were right about somebody,
4: hadn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right about the gap jump. I mean, just going slightly off topic here. Um, at the the Nitro Rallycross track in in Utah, there's a uh, depending on who you ask, there's a 100 or 120 foot gap jump. Now you look at that thing, and it's 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 terrifying. You know, I've walked mm-hmm. to the top of it, looked down, and and you know. It's it's really scary, but when I spoke to Travis Pastrana about it, and I'm saying, you know, this is a bit crazy, isn't it dangerous? And he said, it's probably the safest part on the track. Now, they, you know, they do so many calculations and so much testing. And it turns out the only sort of injury that they've had on that course was from the smallest jump on the track, and that had nothing to do with the jump. There was a wide entry, too much speed, landed on the flat. Um... But sort of to bring it back on topic, I mean, I guess if they have got rid of that rule, it will be on safety grounds. But that being said, mm. you know these things to sort of bring that nitro point back in these these things do get considered, they do get thought out. They may look dangerous and ridiculous on television. They're nine times out of ten. In fact, that that's being unfair. I mean, a hundred percent of the time they're completely safe, um, and and completely, you know. Taken care of before a car's even gone anywhere near it.
2: But we, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that Travis Pastrana is somebody who thinks jumping the River Thames is safe and a sensible thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, yeah.
1: It's all no, but I, 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 I well, do.
2: I take your point there, Dom. Actually, there is a very good point. Of course, these things are, are well thought out. Um, but I do well, I think sometimes just have a small issue with with where the line blurs between entertainment and sport. Uh, well, Sam- yeah.
0: We were so scathing of um, Formula E's gimmicks when that first started, but look at it now. It, it has worked. It's become mm. a popular series in its own right, and I think part mm. of that is down to the gimmicks. It's brought in a new audience, and maybe that is what Extreme E needs.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I, I, I think you're right, and also I think it's very difficult to try and decide what sport is if it's not entertainment and pushing Yeah, the that's boundaries. very
2: true. That's a very good point, Lee. Sorry, I stand corrected I, I again. think...
1: Uh, Yeah, good. Uh, I think we've scratched the surface of Extreme E, but we have run out of time for this particular podcast. I think it's very important that we all get together after the first event. And yeah, find out how things thrash out in the in the opening round of the Extreme E Championship. If you have got any thoughts, get in touch on Twitter. We're using at Dirtfish Rally for now until we come up with something far more exciting, Extreme E wise. Perhaps we'll come up with some superb new word that's going to get invented over the opening round in Saudi Arabia. But for now, we've got to say thank you to Dirtfish senior staff writer David Evans. Enjoy Saudi Arabia. I'm. I have to say, pretty envious, not of you in the hotel room at the moment, but your weekend ahead.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it is going to be uh, a very entertaining weekend. And, and like we discussed, a real step into the into the unknown uh, and in a part of the world that I, I have to say I know very little about and I'm looking forward very much to finding out an awful lot more about.
1: And thank you also to our motorsport, former motorsport team director, George Donaldson. George, I'm guessing you're going to be Glued to every device to watch this this weekend.
4: You better believe it. I will be absolutely doing it. Be following it. All my information will come from Dirtfish. So, Dom and Anna, No Pressure, I want to see good stuff coming <laughs> out. And I will be watching on either BBC, Sky Sports, BT Sport, or ITV, wherever I can find it. Is it available online as well?
1: Yeah. Yes, bound to be. Okay. Yes, because you've got to vote, George. That's for sure. Oh, yes, and- of course. And as George very adroitly said there, Dirtfish.com's extreme, A- no, let's try it again, extreme e-experts, Dominic Wilde and Anna Duxbury will be keeping us up to date on the website. Thank you very much for your debut to the podcast. Thanks Thank you for, for having us. us. Really looking forward. What, what are you both looking forward to most about the upcoming weekend? What's, gonna, what's, what's wetting your whistle?
0: And I'm just really excited to see how it's all going to come together. We've been talking about it for so long now and we've got the drivers, we've got the location, we've got everything's finally coming together and I'm really excited to see what how it's going to turn out.
3: Yeah, same here. I mean, every time you go into a motorsport season, there's excitement. But whether it's the Monte Carlo Rally or the, the Bahrain Grand Prix or, or the, the World Rallycross season op- opener, wherever that may be, you kind of know what's coming to an extent. This time there's nothing you know all we've got is you know is talk and and press photos you know there's no there's no precedent i'm just really excited to see what all of this is going to result in
1: thank you very much that's dominic anna george david i'm Lisa sullivan we'll be back with another episode of spin the rally pod very soon